Alrighty, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 10 with me. John chapter 10 again. It's been great to sing God's praises together with our music team. To get the feel for this passage of John chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, which I started last week, I want to bring to its conclusion this morning. I want to go take you back to chapter 9, verse 35. I'm going to read from John 9, 35 down to John chapter 10, verse 6. And the idea for this week, last week I asked you, the Lord is my shepherd, and I put that little clause in there, is he? Today I want to put it more this way as an exclamation point, the shepherd's relationship with his sheep. And we're going to really focus in on the role of Jesus Christ as our shepherd with us as sheep. And that whole illustration and metaphor that the Bible uses so much. And so let me read John chapter 9 to give you the background. The man that was born blind has been healed. He now sees. This was one of the great signs of the Gospel of John. It's the sixth great sign. There's seven signs in John's Gospel. This is the sixth one. In John chapter 11, we get the seventh great sign, which is even greater than this one in the sense that he is going to call Jesus a man who has been dead for four days back to life. And then John ends his Gospel with an eighth sign or wonder, which is actually the resurrection of Jesus. Christ himself. So there's seven signs. This is the sixth one. There's been a a comical back and forth between this man and the religious leadership of Jerusalem and Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They keep wanting to know how did he get his sight back. He keeps telling them that Jesus did it. They keep arguing with him that no, Jesus is not the Messiah. And finally, they kick him out of the temple. This is a guy who spent his life begging outside the temple, longing to be inside of it, only to get his sight back, and then to be told, we banish you from the temple. And so when this is what happens when you pick up this discussion in John chapter 9, verse 35, and this is the word of God. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. So he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see me may see, and those who see may become blind." Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the sheep gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech... Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As I want to set this up, because really this is the conclusion of what I started preaching last week, let me start with this statement. God is not a religion or religion in itself. I want to make that abundantly clear. God is not a religion or religion itself. God is a relationship. The Bible, Jennifer talked about it. She went and saw with the family at the Bible Museum. The the Bible is God's word to humanity. The reason why at this church at Calvary Baptist the Bible is so important to us is because we believe that the Bible tells us who God is. That the Bible tells us who we are. The Bible tells us why we exist. The Bible tells us what's wrong with us and the world around us and what God has and is doing to correct it. God's word gives us purpose. It gives us hope. It gives us meaning and value. And that is why one of my favorite Psalms of the Bible is actually Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, after David talks about the glories of creation and nature, which we all love, but then at the end of that chapter in Psalm 19, David tells us about the Word of God, the greater revelation, the the special revelation of God, when he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, let me ask you, is this true of you and I? More to be desired are they, the word of God, than gold. Than even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. And here's the reason that the Bible is so important, why the Word of God must mean something to us, because the author David says, Who can discern his errors? The hardest thing you're ever going to do in life is be honest with yourself. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Now notice how David brings this passage to to conclusion. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Imagine if this is how we began and ended every day. Now let me bring all that into John chapter 10. You hear now, it's very very cool in church today to use words like relationship and community and family. These are words we hear a lot, not only in our churches, but even in pop culture. People will say, on Facebook, I'm in a relationship. We've got Facebook statuses now to tell us that. We can do that on Instagram and Twitter and all these things. We say all this stuff all the time. And well, when we say I'm in a relationship, the problem is is that can mean almost anything. I'm a part of this community. I'm in this family. And we've seen that modern culture has redefined, re-expressed, and re-examined all of the words related to those three words. So when I ask you this morning, 
What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or what is your relationship with Jesus Christ like? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? What would you say? How would you respond? How would you describe your relationship with Jesus? And here's the thing I want you to get from John chapter 10 verses 1 to 6 because I think we're guilty of doing this ourselves in the 21st century and even as I know so many of you. See, often when we get asked... Are you a Christian? What's your relationship with Jesus? How is your relationship with Christ? We think in terms of what we think of Jesus, how I'm doing with Jesus, and very little do we actually think about what God thinks of us or how the Trinity views us. One of my favorite reformers is Martin Luther, and I love this quote from him. It's a quote I have printed in the inside of one of my Bible reading Bibles, and it says this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is there I shall be also. Oh, that I could get us, when we are asked about our relationship with Jesus, to think in terms of what God has done for us instead of always thinking, what am I doing for God? That's a burdensome way to think about your relationship with Jesus. And let's go back to this idea of relationship again and community again and family. You see, we have this thing when we say, oh, this person is my sister or that's my brother. Now, in church world, that can mean one of two things. Either biologically that's my sibling, or I have such a friendship and a bond with someone, they're like a brother or they're like a sister to me. And in fact, in church, both might be true. In fact, we've heard the expression, right? Blood is thicker than water. And while we see that from time to time, and maybe more so in Newfoundland, I think in our 21st century social media culture, the idea that blood is thicker than water is becoming less and less to the point where I wonder, do we actually believe it anymore? Marriage used to be celebrated and was for life. Now, comedians will say things like, I've met that special someone who I'd like to spend the next five to seven years with. That's how bad it's gotten. A community was a group you could count on. Now, you're in community until you're not. And then you're turfed out quicker and harder than you went in. And so last week, and what I want to bring out this week, I wanted us to consider if the Lord is our shepherd and what that means. And I want to finish that thought, but I want to carry it through. You see, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21, is Jesus describing his relationship with his people. And he uses this shepherd-sheep illustration to do it. Now, the reason why I went back and read in chapter 9 was because... John chapter 10 is Jesus directly answering the Pharisees from back in chapter 9. But all the while, he's giving comfort and encouragement, particularly to the man who was born blind and now sees. And while this man is young in sight and even younger in the faith, he's been kicked out of the temple, banned from the place which was supposed to be where he could be called to God. And then there are the disciples are there too. 
And we already know about the disciples, that often they're more confused than knowledgeable. They often have more questions than answers. They're still, still trying to put the pieces of Jewish tradition and the Bible or the scriptures and Jesus and all these miracles that they're seeing right in front of them and putting them all in the right places. And then there's that crowd that's constantly watching and gathering and listening. And so in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5... And again in verses 7 to 18, I believe they constitute some of the greatest teachings on assurance you're ever going to read. And so Jesus lays out how he loves us and how he calls us and keeps us and provides for us and protects us and leads us and leads those who belong to him. And you'll discover that it's not just a temporary promise. It's not just a historical promise. It's an eternal promise. We looked at that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and 7 last week. And it's a promise. Are you ready for this now? This promise that Jesus is your shepherd is all on him. And none of it's on you. Today we finish looking at verses 1 to 6. Particularly in John chapter 10 verses 1 to 6. It's the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep. When I preach next in verses 7 to 10, we're going to see the shepherd's provision for the sheep. And then again in verses 11 to 18, you'll see the shepherd's heart for the sheep. I read this quote, and it's a great one to help capture what Jesus is telling us in John chapter 10, 1 to 6. Somebody has written this, a doctor can physically save your life. A lawyer can defend your life, and a soldier can give you a peaceful life. But only God can give you a joyful and everlasting life. That's my king. Do you know him? And that's what Jesus means in our passage. In John chapter 10, he says, I know you. I'll lead you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. And you can't help but follow me because you know me. This is what have resonated with the man born blind. Because when he opens up his eyes, he says, Lord, can I know who the Redeemer is? And he says, you know him. He who's standing before you is him. And he goes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. But riddle me this. Have you noticed the contrast in John chapter 1 through 10 between the miracles and the signs that John has chosen, especially those signs that deal with people and those of the Pharisees or religion? You see, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and John, religion, for them, Jesus was an add-on. He was an interest or an irritant. They played with God, so to speak. They played religion. For some of them, I think the Sadducees, they saw their job, their religion as a job. For some of the Pharisees, it was a hobby. But remember that nobleman back in John chapter 3? And the man paralyzed for 38 years in John chapter 5? Remember the woman at the well in John 4? And now in John 9, the man born blind? You see, the difference between the Pharisees and them is they saw Jesus as their shepherd. They leaned on him and they leaned into him. George Whitfield, that great Anglican revivalist, said, If you do but once taste of his pardoning love, it will be so delightful unto you that you can cry for more and more thereof. You will be as full as you can hold and still not be satisfied. You will desire more and more of this love of Jesus. Is that you and me? I just find that all too often what we say we believe 
and how we functionally live out life don't always add up. Put yourself into the scene. In John chapter 10, feel the tension and the mixed emotions. There's confusion and accusation. There's questions. Pharisees are demanding. Sadducees are conniving. A healed man is worshiping. Disciples are learning and a crowd is watching. And last week I wanted us to see what it means to be sheep. Remember, the Bible repeatedly calls you and I sheep. And I find, I said last week how I find it fascinating how we are all ready to own that idea that, okay, I am a sheep of Jesus. Okay, but you've got to own what a sheep is. A sheep is defenseless, stubborn, easily frightened, easily deceived. The Bible tells us that as sheep, we've all gone astray in Isaiah 53. The world is like sheep without a shepherd in Matthew chapter 9. And in 1 Peter, we're told that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we hear so many voices in our world today, don't we? Think about all the voices that you could follow today. The voice of pop culture. The voice of your peers even the voice of fashion and the voice of Hollywood, the voice of politics. But Jesus comes along and says what he does in our passage in answering the challenge of the Pharisees and to encourage and help the man who had just been banished from the very temple that should have welcomed him in. Jesus says in those first couple of verses, remember what I said last week, the true shepherd knows his sheep. The true, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheephole by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That was the condemnation on the Pharisees. But he who enters by the door is the sheep of the shepherd. Remember last week I told you Jesus boldly proclaims three things in these first five verses. He and he only enters by the door. In fact, later down, he says, I am the door. He and only he calls you by name. Jesus just doesn't say, sheep, sheep, come to me. He says, Stephen, come to me. Debbie, come to me. Jennifer, come to me. Whoever you are, he calls you by name. He knows you. He knew you when you were in your mother's wombs. He knew you before he ever said, let there be light. God knew you. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not only does he know the hairs of your head, he knows everything about you. And then he and only he will lead you. What a contrast with religion. I think that's a contrast, if we're honest, even with ourselves. Because even when I try to be the shepherd of my own life, when I try to call myself by my name and say, well, nobody knows me like I know me, even when I try to lead myself, here's what happens. I'm a lousy shepherd even to myself. I fail myself. I struggle with the things that I think I need. I, just, I, I convince myself that I need this or if I just had that, and then I get it, and then all of life falls apart on me. And we are so gullible at times, right? We lie to ourselves. We believe the lies of others. Yet we are suspicious of Jesus. You know, we, we say this. It's funny to me because have you ever noticed how many infomercials are on television? And have you noticed too that infomercials come on either early in the morning or late at night when I think we are the most gullible and naive? But you might laugh and say, well, Jumpin's infomercials. Who believes in infomercials? Trust me, somebody does or they wouldn't be on television. So somebody is ordering the knife that never dulls. Right? Or that newest shark vacuum that just simply sucks up everything. But we believe this stuff. For only $14.95, you'll get a vacuum that will suck the color right out of something. 
And we buy it. And we listen to it. And yet here, Jesus says, the one who came to die, the one who never lies, the one who only gives us his best for our best, Jesus comes to us honestly and through the door that is himself, and he calls us by name, knows everything about us. I think the greatest challenge for us today in this church and in our city is for people to be okay and to feel true safety to go, I'm known by someone. Nothing that I can hide knows every bad thought, every impure motive, every bad deed I've ever done and still says, I love you. And I'm going to send my son to live for you and die for you. This is Jesus the true shepherd. Last week we also noticed that the, true, the sheep know the true shepherd. It's not just that the true shepherd knows a sheep. The sheep know who the true shepherd is. And remember I gave you that illustration. The reason why Jesus uses this and in our passage he says the, sheep, the true shepherd enters by the door and he's the shepherd of the sheep and the gatekeeper opens and that's because in Jesus' day in Jerusalem there would have been what they called communal sheepfolds where all kinds of shepherds would bring their, sheep, uh, their, their flock and gather them there, and sometimes they would pay a fee, and there was a gatekeeper, and then they would go and do their commerce or go and worship at the temple or, or go and make a deal or whatever they had to do, and then they would come back to get their flock and lead them out. And there could be thousands and thousands of sheep owned by upwards to hundreds of different shepherds. And yet, what is amazing about sheep is when the shepherd of a particular flock could walk in there and either he would whistle or he could hum or he could sing or he'd have a little tick that he would use, the sheep from his flock and only his flock would know, that's my shepherd. And while every, all the other sheep would mull around and do whatever they did, the sheep from his flock would make their way to the shepherd and follow him out of the sheepfold and none of the other sheep would go. That's the amazing part of it, because the sheep know the true shepherd. It says in our passage in verse 3, look, the sheep hear his voice. And look down at verse 4, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They hear his voice, and they know his voice. And then Jesus says, a stranger they will not follow. In fact, he goes and says, they will flee from him, for they do not know him, the voice of strangers. Not only this, but I found out this in my reading about sheep. Not only will they run from you if they don't recognize their, that voice of yours, they also know your smell. They have a very sensitive nose. And so they know not only, are, is that the voice of my shepherd? Is that the smell of him? They truly know him. And so the question is, how am I going to hear and know the voice of my shepherd? How do you know that you're hearing from God? That's why I read Psalm 19 for you. Remember last week I told you we must spend time in God's word privately. So here's the difference. You don't read your Bible to earn God's favor. You don't read your Bible to make yourself more influential in your church. You don't read the Bible to make yourself feel good about yourself or so that you'll feel more worthy. You don't read the Bible because it's how you're going to get rid of your guilt or feel like you measure up. You read the Bible because you just know the shepherd. And so we spend time with him privately. We must spend time in God's word publicly. That's why we gather as the church. We don't come to church. This is a building. 
This building can be used and transformed into all kinds of things. But one thing that cannot change is that the fact that men and women, boys and girls, uh, sons and daughters of Christ, we gather and we are the church. And that's why it is so frustrating that the world and Satan can't stop the church because wherever people gather, they are the church. So you can take our buildings from us. You can run us into the woods or the forest as they have been done over centuries of time, but you can't stop the church. That's Matthew 16. And then we must spend time in God's word relationally. That's why we need each other. Oh, that we would learn more and more what it means to be friends. And what I mean by that is to tell each other what we need to hear, not always what we want to hear. That we point each other to Christ. We remind each other of the things. It's great to see. I'm, I'm looking down. I don't know if you noticed, but this was a first for us because this is the first time that Mr. and Mrs. Drover were in church today. David and Leanne are here now as not David Drover and Leanne Rasky, but as David and Leanne Drover, married couple, serving God together publicly. And they are doing that. And you know what? For those of us that had the privilege to be at that wedding, you didn't just attend it and get dressed up, and if you went to the reception, got a free meal. Your covenant was, I'm going to pray for this couple. And if and actually, let me get rid of the if. When trouble comes, and we've learned that together, right? Because trouble will come. That we as Christian brothers and sisters will be there to remind them of the vows they made, to remind them of the covenant relationship they're in. Folks, listen, if we are true sheep of God and we know the voice of God, we don't just know it privately and publicly, we know it relationally, we share it with each other. And then we spend time in God's word naturally. That's why we see things in nature, and that's why things in nature point us to Christ, and they give us a yearning for Christ, but then we go to his word to get confirmation. See, if you've been called by Jesus, then you know him. And not only do you know him, but now Matthew eleven twenty eight makes sense, right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the gospel calls you not to a life of good works. It calls you to give up your works and lean on the work of Jesus Christ. And then the way you respond becomes who you are. And so instead, Jesus comes to us himself, the door, calls us by name. And remember when he told the, the, the men there in, in Matthew, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave us, you and me, his only son. See, Jesus left everything, gave up everything, so that you and I could have everything. Jesus. This is what we have. And so finally this morning, I want you to see this. The true shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. That's what we see in verses 4, 5, and 6. And Jesus says it at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4, remember? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. If you write in your Bible, understand that. Calls you by name and leads you out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. So there's a couple things. He leads them out and then he goes before them. So the reason Jesus uses this illustration of a shepherd with a sheep is now to tell this newly believing, seeing man and his disciples... And to condemn those Pharisees, he says to this man, Look, you've been banished from the temple, but I want you to know I'm the true shepherd. I will give you what you need and actually what you really want. A true relationship. Be a true provider and be there for you as a true protector. Oh, folks, listen. You don't need church. You need Jesus. 
And when you get Jesus right, you'll understand church properly. In verse 9, down in chapter 10, which I'll preach on next, Jesus will tell us that he is the door. Kind of as previews of coming attractions, Jesus is telling these folks then and us now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now John 14, 6 is going to make a little bit more sense with John chapter 10. You cannot, you cannot come to God except through Jesus. Now I want you to realize that's an exclusive, even somewhat scary reality. You don't get to decide how you're going to be right with God. You don't get to decide what makes you good enough for heaven. You don't get to decide if what you have done is good enough. But if you'll notice, and you keep reading in John chapter 10, look down at verse 11. Jesus says, I'm not just the shepherd, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd is one you can trust. A good shepherd is one you can follow. A good shepherd is one you can lean into and run to and get help from. This has been the greatest discovery of my entire life. To know that I don't have to be afraid of God. That I don't have to pretend or act like I got it all together. That I don't have to act like I don't struggle. Because I have a good shepherd. The writer of Hebrews finishes his sermon with that reality when he says that Jesus is the great shepherd. And then Peter, now think about this. Peter who was standing here in John chapter 10 and when was all said, this was said, Peter, who opened his mouth and put his foot in more than any other disciple. Peter, who was, was what is to say, was one of the first ones to stray, to speak out of turn, to miss the point, and to outright sin. Remember that third time he denied Christ? In Luke it tells us he cursed God. He would run ahead of Jesus and lag behind him. Peter would tell us towards the end of his life in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. I want you to see it. <laughs> Jesus knows us. Oh, young people, listen, Jesus is not a fairy tale. He created you. He came to live and die for us. And now he's telling us by calling us, if you hear that call this morning, respond because you're his sheep. <laughs> My biggest struggle the last month or so of doing this has been, how do I tell you about Jesus? How do I verbalize it? I told you last week about one of my guys that I love to listen to preach, that man, S.M. Lockridge. I think that's what he was struggling with when he wrote that sermon, That's My King, and asked over and over, do you know him? Because I think it's the unmitigated struggle I've had to try and express what Jesus means to me and what I long for him to mean to each and every one of you. Now, you see, I know me, and I somewhat know you. I know my struggles and my fears, my weaknesses and my inconsistencies. I know my hypocrisies and my secret faults and sins, and the reality is, let's be honest, I know many of yours too. You've trusted me to tell me about your questions or your doubts. And I know the games that we play have been raised up in the church and the burdens we carry. I also know how stubborn I can be and we can be trying to justify our behavior or the people and things we want to have in our lives. We have so many voices and false shepherds trying to lead us, including us lying to ourselves. Why do you think the Old Testament writers abound with this kind of verbiage? 
In Isaiah, the prophet said, like wandering gazelles and like sheep without a shepherd, each one will turn to his own people, each one will flee to his own land. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 50 verse 6 said, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away to the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We're not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Does that not sound familiar today? When you see professing Christians fail or pastors fall, it was a tragic event this past week, one that hit home very much to me as another young pastor, barely in his 30s, took his own life and left his wife and two little children behind. And while many people mourned, many others like Jeremiah, who were looking for reasons to point out the faultiness of, of faith, mocked this man's death and said, this is proof that religion or faith is make-believe. Zechariah said, therefore the people wander like sheep, they suffer affliction because there is no sh shepherd. Is it any wonder that Peter would say that Satan is like a roaring lion? Do you sometimes feel that? What's the answer? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, it tells us the answer is actually a person, Jesus Christ. You see, the great prophet Ezekiel told us that God prophesied, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. God tells Isaiah again to say, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who are young. Now think about, again, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is it any wonder that David would write what he does? He himself was a shepherd. He knew only too well. You remember that when he went to kill Goliath and he went before Saul and Saul tried to put all of his armor on him, he said, no, look, I have killed a bear and a lion. I know what it is to care for and protect and provide for sheep and now knows later in his life, God does with this with me and for me better than I could ever do it. You see, that's why we need to see Psalm 23 in a new light. So when David says, even when I'm walking through the shadow of the valley of death, I will not fear, why does he say that? Because Jesus is with him. In our passage, Jesus says, I will lead them out and I will go before them. So David says, I, I can go into the valley of the shadow of death and I don't fear because he goes before me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort him. Do you know what he's saying there? Think that through. That's how the sheep are protected and guided. It's how they are led to lie down in green pastures and to drink from still waters. But it's also how the shepherd directs the sheep. What do you think David killed or defended his flock with from that bear and lion? It was with that staff. How do you think he directed sheep? Sometimes he had to use that rod and staff to guide them. Sometimes I've seen this in Israel where a shepherd will take his staff and literally knock a sheep on the head. Because sometimes we all need a good smack on the head to know that God is saying, don't go there, don't do that, that will hurt you. I saw this when I was on a bus in the Golan Heights of Israel, and there was a shepherd and a sheep coming towards our bus on a very narrow road and the hillside, and the sheep were all out in the road in our bus, and our bus driver was not slowing down to the point where I got very nervous, and my shoulders went back, and my, my back went up, and I thought, this is going to get messy. 
And the shepherd put himself outside in the line with the bus, and he took his staff and he wung it around and hit the sheep that was at the front. And the sheep instantly darted inwards, and the whole flock went in with the sheep. And he then put himself like that, and the bus went by him. And I'm sure the bus went by his coat. And it was like a living illustration for me. This is what Jesus says. This is what David means. And what is the result of this type of personal relationship with Jesus? What happens when you know Jesus this way? That's why Asaph, the great choir leader of David in Psalm 79 said, But we your people, notice, the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Okay? Calvary Baptist, is that us? Moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, is that you? Are you telling others from generation to generation, recounting the praise of your glorious shepherd? Are you giving thanks? Husband, do you do this for your wife? Wife, do you do this for your husband? Brother and sister, do you do this for your siblings? Son or daughter, do you do this for your parents? Are we thankfully trusting? Do we peacefully think about how God deserves praise? This is the passage before us. Do you automatically think, when I ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus, do you automatically think of yourself, or do you automatically think of Jesus, the Good Shepherd? Do you rehearse more and more of what Jesus is and has done for you as a means to motivate and strengthen you? Do you look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith in Romans chapter 12 and find the courage to be honest about your struggles and your sin? It's a subtle but massive difference in how we walk the Christian life. And so as I close, I just have again, I want to take my points. Jesus is the true shepherd. The sheep know the true shepherd. And the true shepherd knows and protects us. And I want to put it into a a very vernacular type that we would use today. Number one, this. Jesus is the true shepherd and he knows us and loves us more than anyone or anything. As you leave here today, I want you to know that. Richard Phillips writes in his commentary, Why did you become a Christian? Because Jesus called you by name. This answers the greatest need of the human soul to be called into fellowship with God by the voice of the Savior whom he has sent. Listen to me now. You can't love yourself like Jesus loves you. You can't protect yourself like Jesus can. You can't even treat yourself like Jesus will treat you, always with your best interest, always to protect you, to form you, to transform you. And would you stop? Oh, listen to me, young people especially, young married couples, young families, stop allowing yourselves or others to rob you of true joy and true life. I'll say it over and over again, we lie to ourselves and the world lies to us and Satan lies to us. This is the danger to hear so many lies all the time has an effect on us. One of our Sunday school classes is about the effect that our cell phone is having on us. And I don't think we understand how much social media, electronics, bombardment of all of this stuff and most of what you're being bombarded with is not truth but lie. And so what happens is even Hitler figured this out because Hitler is rumored to have said, if you tell a lie long enough, you can make anyone believe it to be true. And all the way back in the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do? He lied to Eve. And that's why Luther said, I am more afraid of my own heart than that of the Pope and all his cardinals because I have within me the great Pope, self. 
And that's why John 10 is so important for us to read and to know. It's why you need to hear from Christ and respond to that call. Jesus will not lie to you. Jesus doesn't hold anything back from you. He tells us the truth because he is the truth. I quoted this last week again this week. Kent Hughes says, Jesus knows us in the most profound ways. He knows our past with its failures and its hurts. He knows our present with our unrealized longings. Think about it right now. Moms and dads, your longings for your children or your longings for the debt to be paid or people to get ahead. He knows us in the most intimate ways. He knows our idiosyncrasies. He calls us by our own characteristics. I sometimes wonder if he calls us some of the things we would not want to be called. It is quite possible he affectionately calls us grumpy or fearful or faithless, just as we might talk to our sheep if we were shepherds. But Jesus offers us life more abundantly. It's a life of peace and joy and satisfaction, which leads me to my next one. Do you and I know Jesus beyond just our minds? And this is when I want to appeal to all of you here that are second-generation Christians. You're young people or you've grown up in church or you've had Christian parents. Because I keep coming back to this over and over and over again. It, for it is my ever-deepening fear that so many folks who've come to Jesus via family upbringing, if you notice, the man born blind doesn't seem to struggle the way the disciples do. He saw the Savior and he worshipped him. Now listen to me. God doesn't have grandchildren. You can't know Jesus via your parents. Or you can be introduced to him. You can even have your imaginations baptized with him, as C.S. Lewis said is the reason why he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. But young people, you must know the true shepherd yourself. You must respond to his call. And I fear that too many folks think like the Pharisees do. I know the facts of Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And that's why S.M. Lockridge kept saying, do you know him? Do you know him? And that's why J.C. Ryle said, the very first questions in religion must be answered are these. How can I draw near to God? How can I be justified? How can a sinner like me be reconciled to my maker? And the Lord Jesus, the true shepherd, said, here's the answers. I will sacrifice myself on the cross. I'll open a way through the great barrier. I'll provide pardon and peace for sinners. And so listen, Christ died. That's history. That's a historical fact. Christ died for our sins. That's theology and doctrine. And we must not only believe that to be true, but we've got to own it to be true. And these two elements joined in an absolutely indissolvable union. There is not Christianity without it. So my question is, have you come to Jesus as the Lord and shepherd of your life? Now stop. Stop trying to be the Lord of your life. Stop letting another person or a substance or a past hurt or a broken relationship or a church that's failed you. Stop letting a child that you have or a job that you covet or a girlfriend or boyfriend lord and shepherd your life. Stop letting money or power or pride or fear or shame lord your life. Just come to Jesus. Confess your need and your sin and be honest. You need saving. You need to be rescued. Let Jesus, the true shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, do that for you. I want to make it very clear. If I died right now, if I died today, every man and woman in this room needs to know 
as sure as I'm standing in front of you, I know I will go to heaven. And it's not because of anything I did. It's not because I've been preaching or I've been a pastor for 25 years. It's not because I went to Bible college or grew up in a Christian home. It's not because I went to a Christian school or read my Bible or went to church. I will not go to heaven because I was more pious and devoted to the Bible or to this Baptist church or to that particular denomination. I will not go to heaven because I was baptized or partook in compute, com, took part in communion. If I died right now, I would go to heaven because over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, lived and died for me and shed his precious blood for me, a sinner who deserves hell. And God his Father declared me righteous and washed me white as snow and forgave me of my sin, adopted me as his son, and dwelt me with his spirit. And now Jesus Christ, my shepherd, is my advocate and my intercessor, and I can do all that because Christ strengthens me. Amen? Amen. That's reality. So my last question. Christian... Do you trust Jesus as the good shepherd of your life with your life? Now be honest. Do you trust Jesus, the good shepherd, with your life and of your life? In a few short months from this passage, Jesus would go and put these words into action. He would actually walk through the valley of the shadow of death and he would lead us and come forth in resurrection power, defeat sin and death and Satan so that we could be saved. Now I want to know, are you trusting that truth in your day-to-day life? When you go to work tomorrow, when you've got to deal with a broken marriage or relationship or a rebellious son or daughter or a particular brother or sister that's hard to get along with or mounting debt or unexpected bills or the lack of friends or being attacked or misunderstood. You see, Richard Philip again puts it so well, are you following Jesus or are you just making a show of religion? You see, if you're a true sheep and you're not following Jesus, then I need you to know, expect to feel the sting of his loving staff as he leads you back into the right way. The way that we know that we belong to the Lord is to follow him as sheep hearkening to the shepherd's voice. And finally, I want you to see why I said this chapter is the most amazing. So allow me to connect the dots. I want to do what I did last week. Now let me read to you this psalm and see if it makes different sense. The Lord is my shepherd. See, when David was asked about his relationship, here's how he responded. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Are you struggling with whether or not you have value or whether or not you deserve? Listen, David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And So this is how we could go into a bad day or a hard day or an unexpected day. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I know that no matter what life brings to me this week, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because God or Satan and sin and pain and death and our own failure can't take that away from you and I. The question is, do you know him? Jesus knows you, loves you. He never takes from you. He only gives. He'll never abuse you. He'll never harm you. 
Will you come to him and listen to his voice and respond? Don't be afraid. Don't be deceived by the world or harmed by the lies of Satan. Christians, are you trusting the Lord as your shepherd? Ah, the Lord is my shepherd. If you don't know him, please don't leave and let us not have the chance to tell you. And Christians, if you're struggling, go to each other as sheep and say, would you pray for me that I will trust my shepherd more? And let's stop pretending. And let's be honest. And next time someone says, how are you doing spiritually? Why not instead of trying to make yourself sound like you're doing okay, just go, here's what God has promised me and what Jesus is doing for me and what the Holy Spirit has sealed up in me. And see if that changes your perspective in how you pursue Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, on a Sunday when we can get back into the fall, things of things, and already maybe things are routine, and already church can seem like this is something I do. It's the first day of the week, and check, I've gone to church. Lord, help me to believe what I'm about to ask these people to believe, that you're my shepherd. Help me to believe what I want the people here to believe, that you know us and you love us and we can come to you and we don't have to pretend. Father, if anyone is here and they don't know you or they, they've heard about you but they just don't seem to know you the way they've heard sung about or preached about, that they would not be afraid to come and ask questions. I pray for anyone here who knows you that's struggling struggling with life, struggling with finances, struggling with relationships. Lord, they're hurt, scarred. They would see that you're the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. Oh, that we would come to the fountain. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.